0: I'm Matt Dixon and welcome to the Purple Patch podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Hey folks, today in the show you're going to hear all about heart health with a sports cardiologist. It's both interesting and insightful. And during the show, we discuss the surprising prevalence of how many of the athletic population show really high blood sugar or edging towards pre-diabetic. Fitness doesn't always mean performance in health and life. Now, we discuss Inside Tracker in the show and how our uncovering of the less optimal levels of biomarkers and then the following intervention around training habits and nutrition have yielded really tangible results. And you can get involved. You don't need to be a Purple Patch athlete. All you need to do is head to Purple purplepatch podcast and you can go and add the code Purple Patch Pro 25. That's Purple Patch Pro 25. Guess what? You get 25% off everything at the store. Okay, I hope you enjoy the show. Let's get cracking. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And today, we talk about the pump, heart health. We welcome a special guest, Dr. Brian Keith, a highly respected sports cardiologist based out of Marin Health Cardiovascular Medicine here in Marin Bay Area. Yep, that's the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, we're going to leave his extensive background, education, as well as all of the list of awards that he has accumulated in the show notes. But it's enough to say that Brian is a leader in the realm of performance and everything around the heart and cardiovascular system. With so many athletes and fitness enthusiasts carrying on their lives day to day with ensuring nothing but hope and assumptions around heart health and the fact that it is the month for it, after all, it's National Heart Month right now, we thought it was really timely to have Brian join us. Can we peel back some of the misunderstandings and signals that we don't even think around heart health? After all, we've only got one pump. And so in today's discussion, we dig deep into the role of a cardiologist, as well as talk about all of the preventions and interventions, some of the decision-making and considerations around assessments, medications, and much more. And guess what? We even ask the big question, is all this crazy training for these big events we love to do actually healthy for us? It's all in today's show. But before we dig in, we've got a little business to get through with squaddy Update And then a really inspiring word of the week from, yes, an Olympic athlete. But first, let's get going with the Squatty Update. Yes, folks, the Squatty Update. And we want to announce our open house. A lot of you folks, the listeners, have been requesting this for some time. Well, you'd love to have a little peel back behind the curtain, get some more insights and information around how our squad programs work, our tri-squad, bike squad, run squad. What's actually involved with them? Is it really for you? Hmm. Well, you can always head over and have a look at the details anytime at purplepatchfitness.com. And all of the programs are laid out very nicely. But we did promise an event so that you can take that peek behind the curtain. We're not hiding. It ain't the Wizard of Oz. And so if you want to see the inner workings of the programs, but also have a forum where you can ask any of your questions around all of the Purple Patch programming, this event is for you. And it is on March the 1st, the start of the best month of the year, because it's my birthday month, 5 p.m. Pacific. But as ever, if you can't attend, still register. It's worth registering because we will send you the recording following. And of course, you can always ask your questions in advance if you wish. All you have to do is email us at info at purplepatchfitness.com and we will make sure that we integrate your questions into that event. You can watch the answers afterwards. But of course, if you can attend live, it is March the 1st, 5 p.m. Pacific, and it's open to absolutely anyone. Anyone that's interested in Purple Patch wants to learn more, ask more, or just have a browse. And look, there's no pressure. This is a chance for you to come and have a look around, a little look, touch, and feel, and assess if the programs are the right fit for you. We want to help. but We want to ensure that we're helping the right people who really care about integrating sport into life, who want to actually achieve and get results without giving up on the other pieces of life. As we like to say, we bring athletes to life and life to athletes. Anyhow, details at purplepatchfitness.com just head across to the Services and Events page and you will see it right down there. Of course, we'll add the link into the show notes. All right, with that, we're in a rush, so let's do it. It's a goodie, Barry. Let's do Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dixonary Word of the Week. Yes, the word of the week this week, What's a phrase, raising an Olympian. What's that got to do with anything? Come on, Matt, you're losing your way. You must be desperate. Nope, this week, I want to do something different. And I think it's a pretty special one for you because I'm going to do a reading. This is a small piece from Purple Patch coach Morgan Aratola. Now, if you're a trail running fan or you enjoyed cross-country skiing at the recent Olympics, you might know Morgan. Why? Well, she's a professional trail runner, but she also represented the United States in the Olympic Games in cross-country skiing. Yes, she is an Olympian herself. And that's why this piece, this reading that I'm going to do is worth its weight in gold. The title of it, you've probably guessed, is Raising an Olympian. And I give you the words of Morgan. I've often been asked, as has my mother, how do you raise an Olympian? The answer is you don't. You raise a child. You foster their desire to learn and achieve. You drive them to and from practice. You feed them. And I think often, especially as the Olympics are on full display, that parents want to see their children as what is deemed the pinnacle of athletic success. But let me tell you, that's not the case. First, most Olympic athletes fall short of their goals and expectations. And the one who says, I'm just happy to be there, might not be offering the full truth. Professional athletics is a long road fought with massive potholes, detours, and your parents are there to affirm that first and foremost, you're a loved person not a specimen of lactate tolerance and mitochondria. The true job of a parent is to instill values, push pragmatism, and help your child contribute to whatever life trajectory they pursue. Push them to empty the dishwasher because it helps the family. It's a responsibility, but the drive and determination to it selling sports will come from within the child, not from you. I knew I'd go to the Olympics from a very early age. However, the sport in that actually happened. It changed and it evolved as my parents supported the decisions without being the snowplough parent who has to pave the perfect path for the said child's goals. Again, my road was anything but smooth, but my parents were there to support me as they knew how with love and feist not with proper technique or post-match play-by-plays. I remember a time I had a horrible race, and when I crossed the finish line, I threw my poles off and I swore, loud enough for everyone around to hear me. My mum met me at the finish fence and used some French language, which basically equates to pulling your head out of you-know-where. Because an Olympian, and more importantly a human, doesn't act like that when things don't go their way. And it's those lessons that the parents instill, not the race itself. It's often said that the car ride home from a game is where the parenting matters. Whether that means a fun detour to the ice cream shop or a moment of silence, let your child know that you support their dreams and their aptitudes because it fills their cup, not your own. Morgan, thank you. I don't need to say more. Apart from our word of the week, this week by Morgan Aratola is Raising an Olympian. I hope you found it inspiring and helpful. Now, lots of hearts. Heart health. We're not talking about the value of blood sausage and English fry-ups for your arteries. This is a discussion around performance with sports cardiologist Brian Keefe. And it is our meat and potatoes. All right, folks. Yes, it is the meat and potatoes. And today we are digging into a very important subject that's actually often thought of as a little bit of an afterthought by performance enthusiasts and athletes. After all, look, we exercise, we train, so there can't be anything wrong with us. But no, we have one pump and we've got to look after it. And so we're excited to welcome to the show, exercise specialist, cardiologist, Brian Keith. Brian, thanks so much for joining
1: us. Thank you very much for having me, Matt.
0: So let's get crapping because we've got a lot to talk about. We are going to talk anchoring around performance but particularly around the cardiovascular system obviously your expertise why we invited you onto the show but as i do with all guests i think it's important for the listeners to have a little bit of a grounding over who you are and your background so so why don't we start right at the uh, the beginning where, where did you grow up tell me a little bit about you know family growing up siblings school, sure. et
1: um yeah i grew up in primarily in portland oregon um Uh, I had a brief uh, five years in the Bay Area, um, uh, but but primarily in in Portland. My father uh, was a gastroenterologist uh, specialist uh, in the liver, and he worked at the Oregon Health Sciences University in Portland. Um, My mother was a stay-at-home mother, and I'm the middle uh, of three kids. Um, um, So, uh, And then kind of went around the country for different aspects of my medical training, uh, before landing in the Bay Area for good about 17 years ago, where I've been since. I live in Marin County.
0: In Marin County, both of us, we're, we're literally neighbors. And uh, and obviously, you're a cardiologist, but, but I think it's important. You're one that is particularly focused on fitness and performance. Um, we're going to dig into that, obviously, because it's a the central theme of the show. But I'm interested in your own sporting background going, growing up and, and when you first really became interested in sports.
1: Yeah. So my, both my parents were athletic. My father was an amateur runner, and you know that was back in the 70s. So there was a major running boom. So he did a handful of marathons and uh, the Dipsy race way back in the 70s. Uh, famous, famous Marin County uh, trail race. And um, so I grew up, you know, seeing that, um, uh, you know, active parents and, and I actually started running at a young age. So I ran the Beta Breakers when I was five, um, when we were living in the Bay Area. And I ran this, this run in Portland called the Cascade Runoff when I think I was nine or 10. Um, I don't know if people run eight miles when they're 10 anymore, but maybe I shouldn't have been. But um <laughs> And then, and then as I moved into kind of grade school, um, I fell in love with tennis. So that was really my kind of sport uh, through grade school, uh, high school. Um, and I played for two years uh, at Georgetown where I went to college. Um, and then kind of as I... I, I sort of burned out on tennis. I played probably too much. And by the time I got to college, I was no longer very interested in the sport. Um, and I fell in love with basketball. So I was a amateur, you know, pickup basketball player for about 10 years. And then it was actually when I moved to Marin that I started getting interested in endurance sports, because I knew that I shouldn't be playing basketball much, you know, over the age of about 35, cause you know, I'm going to tear my Achilles or you know, ACL or something. And so, um, got my first mountain bike, um, and started, uh, mountain biking and got back to trail running and then started to get uh, interested in competing a little bit. I did the XTERRA triathlon series. I think that's when we met because I was starting to get in, um, the triathlon kind of, you know, community and just learning about it. Um, and you know, I'm now just uh, past 50 last year, I I was a terrible swimmer and I hated it. And I realized that every time I got to a race that I had to get in the water, I was just thinking, what am I doing here? Um, And so now I just, I've mostly stopped competing and I just enjoy trail running and mountain biking. Those are kind of what I do now. So kind of a long road from, but I've always, you know, and I think it started with my parents, honestly, like just modeling, you know, exercise. I think, you know, my kids see it too. I think it's super important, but it it all started there and I've just always been active. I've always been doing something um, my whole life.
0: So th- so, there's the fitness side. Let's talk about the cardiology side. And and what was the catalyst for? You? I mean, it sounds like your doctor, your your father was a doctor. Was mm-hmm. was that the catalyst behind becoming
1: yeah. a doctor it, yourself. It, and then what? It probably it probably was. Yeah when i when I went to college, I didn't go to college with that in mind, and I actually uh, did not go pre med and did not have any kind of science background in college. Um, I was, I was really interested in sports at the time. I actually thought I wanted to go into professional sports business was my initial thought. Um, and it was actually a health economics class that I took my senior year in college. I was an economics major and it just kind of, you know, turned me on to medicine again. You know, I had it in my background and, and so I decided, you know, I graduated from college with no, uh, science classes and then did it after college, um, Uh, did my pre-med really quickly in about a year and a half and then, and then did med school. Um, And, you know, as you go to med school and then there's kind of decision trees along the way, you know, how I get from, how I got from, you know, college to med school to, you know, cardiology. And um, my first kind of decision tree was I just like the medical care of patients, adult patients primarily. So the first step that I took was choosing to do a residency in internal medicine. Um, and once I got into internal medicine, I was immediately drawn to cardiology because we can really change things quickly. I mean, the, the example of someone who's coming in with, you know, a myocardial infarction or heart attack, and they can be, you know, a healthy person who's suddenly very sick, and then we can intervene and they're suddenly good again. And that's, you know, there's not that many things in medicine where you can really make that kind of impact that quickly. I mean, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. longer, slower things in cardiology too, but that was what drew me initially was, you know, the ability to really help people quickly. Um, So I I found it exciting and and jumped into it.
0: That's fascinating. That that makes perfect sense. So so with that, why don't we jump in? And and I want to start with um, with something I actually think is important for folks because one of the mistakes that is often happens is that we can start rambling on about the cardiovascular system and everything like that but I think we all need to get on the same page and so in broadest terms for the listeners can you explain really simply what you do I guess what you're responsible for as a cardiologist
1: Um, yeah, I can give it a shot. So, I mean, really the way I would think about the heart, um, is there's, there's multiple aspects to it. So the heart's a pump, um, and it, you know, it's a muscle, um, and it's pumping blood, you know, to provide, you know, oxygen to our brain and our muscles and our bowels and every, and everything. Um, so there's the heart as a pump. Um, the heart has arteries that give it, it's oxygen so there's you know when people think about heart attacks they're often thinking about blocking of the heart arteries and atherosclerosis so the arteries uh, are another important part of it um, there's also the electrical system of the heart so um, ion channels in the heart cause it to beat automatically and there's a complex you know set of phenomenon that happen that we don't think about that makes our heart beat you know 50 or 60 or 70 times a minute And then the heart creates a pressure that goes out to our vascular system, so you know, so the blood pressure, the cardiovascular system. So, and really, you know, cardiologists are um, responsible for kind of all aspects of the cardiovascular system, both you know, acute emergencies that happen, or um, you know, you know, dysfunction of any of those components, whether it's you know, uh, what we call heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, which is the pump's not working or angina or heart attack because there's atherosclerotic plaque in the arteries or, or we have spasm of the arteries, all kinds of different, you know, abnormal heart rhythms in the electrical system, high blood pressure, low blood pressure, dizziness, you know, all these kind of things. And we're both responsible for the acute management of problems related to these things. But I I do a lot of preventive, you know, cardiology, which is another aspect of cardiology where we're trying to help people not get those things. (laughs) So, you know, that's in a nutshell, that's what we're doing. We're both trying to prevent problems um, and um, helping problems when they do occur. Um, And it involves medicine, it involves lifestyle uh, treatments, it involves sometimes surgeries, It sometimes involves procedures you know that are not surgeries but done through blood vessels or so it's a whole wide range of things and there's multiple kind of subspecialties even within cardiology
0: and that that's it's incredibly helpful because i mean ultimately you're on the front lines of heart disease is the leading cause of death in the u.s still and um and i think that when most listeners most folks think about heart disease they think clogged arteries, obesity, inactivity, and and of course, big primary candidates there. But what we want to focus on today because of who we are talking to, who we're educating is performance minded folk. And so I guess when when we if we can today, I want to almost put to the side the clogged arteries in the classic sense like all of the stereotypes of it and uh, and i know that that's probably uncomfortable but i want to sort of define what we're going to discuss today around the fitness side of thing like gender fitness age range, symptoms what, what what are sort of some of the when when you think about a performance-minded discussion on cardiology who are we talking about here
1: um, you know, my, my thought, you know, I practice in what I call sports cardiology. And, you know, in my mind, um, everyone's an athlete at some level. <laughs> some people don't know it. Um, but there's no reason anyone's not an athlete, you know, you might be an athlete who just goes for a, you know, 10 minute walk every day, that's your exercise. So, um, but as we move up that, you know, um, volume and intensity of exercise, then we start talking about perhaps some more of your clientele, which might be, you know, someone who's a more performance-minded athlete. So, um, a lot of the components of of how I think about people is very similar from the couch potato to the elite athlete. Um, the symptoms can be similar. It could be, you know, uh, an endurance athlete might say, you know, I I used to be able to run, you know, a 630 mile and it's only two years later and I, you know, I came back and I'm out of breath running an eight minute mile, you know, or, but the couch potato might say, I get out of breath walking up the steps. The phys, the, mm-hmm. the pathophysiology of that could be very similar. So, um, so I, I think a lot of what I do, I mean, you need to understand people's exercise, but um, the performance athlete in many ways is similar to, to everyone else, it's just they're doing, they're testing their heart uh, at a much higher level, which is good in my mind, because you're going to know about a problem much sooner um, because you're, you're, you know, really testing the equipment at a high level.
0: Yeah, no. Okay. So, so let me, let me ask you this. That, that makes sense. So let, let's take something I, I seldom do. Let's take me as an example. <laughs> so I'm almost, eight. I'm, uh, I'm getting on, I'm chasing you. I'm, I'm, trying to close the gap in our age. Um, I think I'm fit. I'm I'm healthy. I think I'm healthy. Former elite athlete. Now I exercise absolutely daily. When, When I think about heart health, what should be some of my considerations, or maybe another way, what are some of the things that I I am on the face of it, why should I care about heart health? I know that sounds very coarse, but what are some of the common considerations that someone like me should think
1: about? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, all, all aspects of the heart, you know, you could be at risk for over time. So, um, you know, and I would still think about kind of those general categories of, you know, um, you know, you're doing this exercise. So kind of your heart pump, I presume is normal. Um, so I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be concerned about that unless in a, a evaluation, you told me you had had some major drop in performance. Um, People who do exercise lifelong can still develop, you know, the clogging of the arteries, the atherosclerosis. So, I'd want to do, you know, some kind of assessment to make sure basic parameters like, you know, your your cholesterol levels, any potential family history, you know, things like that are in check so that we don't need to do any further screening to look, you know, for risk. You know, we, I'd be talking about risk, not upfront necessarily problems, risk over time. Um i have many athletes who don't know that they have high blood pressure so you know um that would be something to think about and and then the electrical system i have you know one thing that you know we can talk about you know down the line here is that um there are a lot of arrhythmias that can occur in um long-time endurance athletes and that's that's the one kind of caveat i'll tell people is listen men more than women but long time endurance athletic men have a higher propensity of developing a very common arrhythmia called atrial fibrillation in their you know 50s or 60s maybe earlier than others might so for me if i were evaluating you know you or someone like you as a patient you know it all starts with just the basic sit down talk let me hear about your whole exercise history what kind of volume you've done over your life, you know, what, if any, symptoms you might have, you know, examine you, listen to your heart and lungs and do a, you know, standard cardiovascular exam and then do at least some screening evaluation with a, you know, standard 12 EKG, which is an easy non-invasive, you know, three-minute test and some basic lab work to look at, you know, cholesterol and, and think about, you know, do you have... You know, we think in cardiology a lot about 10 year or lifetime risk. You know, do you have lifetime risk of cardiovascular disease? I, you might want to still be running, you know, doing endurance sports when you're 80. I have patients doing that. So, like, I'm not just worried about how are you going to do from now until you're 60. I might want to think, hey, let's, let's, let's look at your lifetime risk because you may want to, you know, be doing, endurance sports in your 80s so history
0: physical ekg labor and and in some ways if someone like me says yeah i do want to be doing that in my 70s and 80s um there's a a a chance that you could uncover something along either family history risk or the way that my progression is potentially Mm -hmm. going that is a potential future roadblock to me, doing that, and you can get in front of that. That's 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 sort of one thing that you would be able to do. Talk talk to me about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, you know, it it's not common yeah. in a very healthy, you know, person your age that we would uncover something, but you know, it's it's possible. You know, listening to one's heart, I might hear a murmur, um, which could uncover. Hey, maybe you have some valve disease that you didn't know about. That's early. Um, or your EKG may show an abnormality if you've never had an EKG. And it's like, whoa, what's, you know, we, we should investigate what's going on with this. So it is about, yeah, it it could be finding something early and preventing and, and even, you know, something like, you know, a lot of, you know, people tend who are kind of athletes have been healthy their whole lives. Don't tend to see doctors that much other than for like, you know, minor things. So it could be that, you know, you have a cholesterol of, you know, 350 and you've just never had it checked, you know, so there's, that might mean later lifetime risk. So, um, there is, uh, you know, in a healthy person, I want them to remain healthy, remain active, um, and be able to exercise as long as they still can and enjoy it. To
0: talk to me a little bit about the, the I've had over the last oh I don't know five five years or so a higher than I would have anticipated uh, series of, of athletes who without really under, uh, appreciating it were, were underperforming or something was off but they they never tied it back they tied it back to or well, maybe I'm tired or maybe I need to look at my nutrition. And suddenly they realize, and, and the other thing, maybe, maybe my battery needs changing on my heart rate monitor. <laughs> and um, the ultimate diet, diagnosis is arrhythmias. Um, in the athlete population, I want you to dig into that because that's um, that's something that is, uh, I don't want to say common, but more common than many athletes
1: appreciate. So, uh, so talk to me about that and explain what's going on there. Yeah, I, I think... Probably the one, the most common arrhythmias that athletes might have, you know, I mentioned atrial fibrillation. That's going to have a big am- impact on an athletic person um, if they're having atrial fibrillation. What the the normal electrical system, we have something called the sinus node, which sits up uh, around our right atrium. And that's that's kind of like our internal pacemaker. And then the signal, electrical signal starts there and then it spreads out through the heart cells and the heart's going to beat in a very synchronized way. The atria, left and right atrium are going to pump blood into the left and right ventricles and it's going to be synchronized. Um, and the heart rate's going to go up in a very kind of smooth fashion when you exercise and you increase the os- oxygen demands for your muscles. Um, and that's, that's kind of the normal is you start at, if you're an athletic person, maybe it in the forties or 50 beats per minute or 60 beats per minute. And it's going to go up to some kind of pre-specified peak heart rate in atrial fibrillation. What happens is electrical signals, um, uh, uh become very disorganized in the atria. Often it starts, uh, in a vein, um, which, which, uh, uh, drains into the left atrium, the pulmonary vein, um, and the atria Start fibrillating, so beating you know three hundred times a minute, and you lose synchronicity between the the atria and the ventricle, and that will drop someone's cardiac output by thirty percent, um, you know, plus or minus mm-hmm. some amount. So that will cause an immediate lack of exercise capacity. Um, that type of arrhythmia, atrial fibrillation, tends to be a little higher in long-term endurance athletes, probably because. There's a number of factors, um, but probably in part related to, you know, endurance exercise is a higher volume of blood going through your heart, you know, when you exercise, um, at least kind of fivefold, And the atria are kind of thin-walled structures. So, the there's multiple kind of physiologic explanations, but the simplest one might be to just think the atria just gets a little bigger over time in athletes, and that's in part mm-hmm. going to cause abnormal heart rhythms to be a bit more um, common than they otherwise would have if you weren't doing that level of exercise. There's other kind of mechanisms going on as well that can cause atrial fibrillation. There's other kind of um, arrhythmias that can affect athletes. Um, uh, X cells in the heart can can beat at a turn, but not as disorganized as atrial fibrillation, something called PVCs or premature ventricular contractions that maybe people would hear either the acronym or the term. Um, I'd say atrial fibrillation and PVCs would be the two most common things that I might hear about from athletes. And can be corrected, yeah? they us- They can be corrected, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. oftentimes, you know, uh, athletes, you know, true, like the, you know, someone like you or, or some of the, your, your clients and, and athletic people do not do as well with medications as, as other people do because the medications can suppress performance or, you know, the, the classic medication that is used for abnormal heart rhythms is called beta blockers and they, they block the effect of adrenaline on the heart to some extent. So it will suppress the heart rate from going up, which makes it, it's hard to feel good exercising if your heart rate response to exercise is suppressed. So um, for some of these arrhythmias and athletes, sometimes catheter-based procedures to try to eliminate the arrhythmias we call ablation can be um, uh, the mechanism of treatment.
0: You you talked about medicine.
1: So I I want to
0: ask a question around cholesterol. Um, We have a lot of athletes who who are maybe later coming to exercise and training, as I like to say, rather than exercise. Training is obstruction and progressive. Exercise is random. But um, coming to it maybe a little bit later in life and have some form of high cholesterol or other factor and uh, are put onto lipid-lowering medications. A lot of them are really resistant to those. There's a real anchor on. I want to get off lipid-lowering medication. Those. What's your perspective on those? What's the good, bad, and ugly around those medications?
1: Yeah, I think I think for people, there's a lot of uh, education around around kind of cholesterol and um, and the medicines. So I, I spend a lot of time with people talking about that. The first, you know, the first step that I try to do when I, when I talk to, um, all patients, but certainly athletic patients, um, is I try to hone down on what's, what's the risk because part of, if I'm trying to, um, have a conversation with you about, you know, going on in an indefinite medicine. So this isn't like something you take like an antibiotic for two weeks and then you're off. This is like, you're on this for the rest of your life, you know? So, and we're doing, it's not going to make you feel better. We're trying to prevent a future event. Um, So, what I try to do is kind of hone down on the risk. So, the history and physical and initial lab work I talked to you about, um, it may give me a sense of, we have calculators in the cardiology world to say 10-year and lifetime risk. So, I can start off by saying, hey, your 10-year risk is only 5% or 4%, but your lifetime risk is 40% what do you think about that? Um, And then I may do some further, you know, imaging test. Um, There's something that we may chat about later called a calcium score that looks for any um, uh, early plaque buildup uh, in the heart arteries, which can also kind of sometimes, you know, I call it personalize the risk a little bit more. I may be able to get a little bit better information. And so, once I do that, then I can just have a, you know, informed discussion, uh, and talk to, about the medicine choices if I, if I think it's worthwhile, if the cholesterol is high enough and I think the risk is there. Um, cardiologists spend a lot of time trying to convince people that statins aren't as bad as they sound when you Google them. <laughs> Cause of all the medicines there are in the world, you know, the people have the most kind of angst about statins because you know of my uncle took it and this happened or da 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 or what they've read about it so um so but uh, you know they're very uh, generally well tolerated there are people who do have side effects um with those but the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that there's more in our lipid armamentarium than just statins so um over time we have you know three to four other classes of medications that can be tried that don't have similar side effects. If people either have side effects with statins or prefer not to take them. Um, So I really start with kind of a risk assessment B. I always tell people, you know, diet and exercise are the best medications we have. So I make sure we're doing that. I mean, if someone has a, you know, fantastic diet and is doing great exercise, you know, they're already doing that. And and then step three, you know, let's talk about here's the here's the lipid classes. Here's what I think your risk is, and you know what would you like to do? You know, do you want? I believe these medicines taken over time will mitigate your risk, but they're not going to make you feel better. And you know what would you like to do? So I, I try not to um, kind of force medications on people, but like give them good information and help them decide what to do.
0: You talked about calcium scores. I think that's, that's an interesting one. If I just pop to my local GP and have a quick uh, scan. Okay, Matt, you're in good health. You're almost 50, off you go. Nothing wrong with the EKG or ECG. Mm-hmm. But um, calcium scores is, is something that uh, that I think is worth us digging into. Uh, c- c- can you, you – you mentioned sort of what they were. Can you explain the value and why athletic populations – because I, I, my immediate reaction is – plaque builder. That's not me. I exercise every day. And, um, but, but they're really valuable. You as a sports minded cardiologist, is it fair to say that you would recommend it for a particular group, um, you know, over X age or or anything like that? Tell me that.
1: Yeah. I'd say I really, I would individualize the decision. Um, because I mean, so what I would look at is the age, the levels of cholesterol, you know the family history all these things kind of in the starting with the history and physical i wouldn't say that everyone over a certain age should get it because it's it's very variable um the test has its most benefit for people who are in kind of a moderate risk because what you know my my feeling on when i order any test what i want to know is that it, it could it change decision making afterwards you know otherwise there's not a you know great reason to get a test so the the best benefit from that test is people on kind of a seven, seven and a half to twenty percent ten year risk. That's where if your calcium score is zero, meaning there's no calcification in the heart arteries, that might lower that risk significantly. And then you can say, you know what, that's great. Why don't we just continue to work with diet and exercise and we may revisit this issue later? But I have seen hundreds and hundreds of people where That risk was kind of at the low end and then the calcium score was much higher. And you say, whoa, no idea that this could have been going on. Yes, you've exercised for all your life, but despite that, you, you do have plaque building up and that can sometimes change, you know, again, that decision process that we're making together. Um, you know, in the medicine, in medicine, we, we use this term shared decision making. It's kind of, it's, it's a more Mm -hmm. modern term. The old term was kind of like, it was more kind of a, you do this, me, me, the doctor tells you do this. And so it helps in that shared decision-making of what would you like to do? Here's what I think. What do you think? Let's decide what to do. And so the calcium score can help, um, in deciding what to do. Um, there's not a lot of risk with it. I mean, it's a CAT scan. There's, they're done with low radiation protocols. There's no IV. So it's, um, for the right population, it's, it's, uh, useful. So it's, um, if, if someone's over you know, 80 or something, or, you know, there's a certain age where it's, it's not as useful because generally as we age, we will have some degree of kind of atherosclerosis in our vessels and the calcium score isn't going to change decision-making. Sure.
0: Okay. And, and then last one on the specific features uh b- before before we went live you mentioned hypertension and uh and the fact that it happens in athletic populations mm-hmm. as well because that, that would surprise folks i think
1: yeah um um it's it's you know one of the one of the treatments for for exercise is or for hypertension is exercise so i mean it's it's going to be less common but there's definitely, you know, genetics that people have where, you know, they have a family history of hypertension. Um, uh, They may, you know, they may be, uh, there may be reasons, kind of exogenous reasons for hypertension. There could be, you know, too much alcohol, too much salt, you know, um, too much stress (laughs) going on. And certainly in athletes are not immune to uh, any of those. Um, And then, you know, Again, we're talking athletes. From you know, we could be talking if we're talking adults. You know, these may be athletes in their sixties or seventies, and you know, our arteries do get stiffer over time, and hypertension does become more common over time. So, um, I've you know, I think I think it's good you know just to again these kind of simple screening things of history and physical. You know, just make sure. You get your blood pressure checked um and make sure it's normal you know don't don't assume it because uh it it's it's more common than people think
0: makes sense i want to completely shift gears because i i as i've got you i'd love your perspective for when we first met whenever that was 10 or 15 years ago i never would have asked this question but now uh i, I can't let you leave without asking you this wearable technology mm-hmm. um and, uh, the heart. that There's you know, so much now with uh, uh, you know Apple and uh, an Aura, which I have on my finger right now. Whoop, etc. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> there you go. So, so what's your what's, any advice for folks leveraging or good, bad, indifferent? How do you think? What do you think of these tools?
1: Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the tools in general. I mean, both personally, um, I, I do wear aura ring. I'm interested in, in my own sleep patterns, stress levels, uh, heart rate variability, um, kind of out of interest because I'm also a doctor. So I like to just know things. Um, Um, So it's interesting that data hasn't really crossed over in terms of like, you know, the whoop, the whoop straps or the aura rings into the medical world. So there's not yet easy platforms where doctors have any setup where they can be analyzing this data and like be alerted that, Hey, you know, Matt Dixon's heart rate's 20 points higher than baseline. Let's give him a call and check in on him. Like, are you sick? What's going on? So that that's probably future state you know, is my hope. Um so but I think it's it's definitely interesting and it can give people insight about their health, um, for sure. Um in the cardiology world, um there's a number of, you know, EKG wearables. I mean, the Apple Watch is the most common. Um, I think it can be extremely helpful for people um because what is a common, you know, this is a common thing I see as a sports cardiologist, someone like you and I've seen probably 10 people like this, this year already. They're out for a bike ride and all of a sudden they can't go up the hill. They're like, I just feel, yeah. you know, or their, their buddies pass them. That's these guys I ride with. I usually, you know, <laughs> I'm the first one up the hill two weeks ago. I couldn't like, I couldn't get up the hill. I felt out of breath. Da da Um, and my heart rate strap seemed off, you know, and if they just mm-hmm. had an, an Apple watch, if they just did an EKG, they could show it to me. And then I've, I've just like, okay, you were in a normal rhythm. Great. It wasn't that, or you were in atrial fibrillation there, there it is. So, um, most of my patients after when they come in, I, if they don't have one, I say, I show them mine, I show them how to do an EKG. And I say, we'll do some initial evaluation, but if we don't find anything, this may happen again in six months, next time, do an EKG and send it to me so I can see. Um, And there's also other, um, another product I use a lot is the Cardia, which now, uh, which has like a, you know, a similar thing that you can do an EKG with your fingers and, and transmit it to your phone and send it to your doctor. So I think the rhythm assessment for those is very helpful. And I've seen hundreds of patients who've made their own diagnosis through these technologies just in the last couple of years. I mean, I have I have patients in their late 80s who know when they go into atrial fibrillation because of their Apple Watch. It's pretty it's pretty incredible.
0: Hey folks, let me just interject here into the conversation a little bit. Let's have a little breather. Because I want to do a very short reminder. A massive part of performance is about nailing the basics, as we like to say. But what we're really saying here is remove some of the noise, the distraction. Trim the pieces of the puzzle that don't actually yield results. And this is actually central to our relationship with Inside Tracker. Our athletes get insights into their biometrics and then scientific advice over where they should focus their efforts. What are the quote basics that they should nail? And then they get to track to see whether it's actually yielding results. And guess what? You can too. Insidetracker.com slash purplepatchpodcast. And for you guys, the listeners, 25% off everything at the store. All you need to do is enter the code purplepatchpro25. That's purplepatchpro25, and it is 25% off. All right. Now, with that little breather, it wasn't enough time for a cup of tea. It wasn't even time for a quick potty break, but we are going back. Enjoy the rest of the show. Take care. You're not a normal cardiologist. I put you up there on the podium, mostly because you've helped so many purple patch athletes over the years. And um, whenever I have anyone that is athletically inclined that needs some form of counsel or intervention or, or discussion around heart health, I, I send them directly to you. You are, in my world, the man. But um, a lot of folks are geographically dispersed and listening to the show all over the world. How important do you think it is, for listeners to really try and connect with a cardiologist that either has your expertise or at least is anchored in an athletic mindset?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it's, um, it's hard to find those people, honestly. Like sports cardiology is, is kind of a burgeoning area of cardiology. And there's the American College of Cardiology now has a, a sports cardiology section and there's an annual meeting and there's definitely cardiologists who share the interest. Um, there's not, to my knowledge, a list of people where you could look that up and say, so it's going to be word of mouth. I think for the most part, you know, an initial evaluation with, with a cardiologist is, is, you know, we do do the basic, you know, things of like history, physical labs, EKG, you know, we have these, you know, heart patches that you can wear. That's like a rhythm patch for a week or two. There's some very basic analysis. I think if it gets more complicated or maybe the recommendations don't make sense to the patient, that's where sometimes really trying to look into a person who has that specific interest. Um, but, but I think, you know, for the most part, like, you know, a good cardiologist is, is more than adequate for, you know, assessment of, of most, most issues um it kind of gets it super. yeah
0: super no that 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 that's great i've got, i've got t- two more questions for you i think and um uh, th- th- this one is maybe a little bit outside of direct um expertise but i'm very interested in your thoughts on this and my, my case studies who ask this question is uh is uh, as an athlete i coached for several years Sami inkonen nicknamed Sami the ball. He became amateur world champion in triathlon, but he's literally succeeded in almost every endurance challenge. And the reason we start with that is, you know, he, he was a, uh, a very successful tech founder, started a company called Trulia, great guy. And right when he was the, at, really at the peak of his athletic prowess and accomplishments, he had a routine blood panel and it showed that he was pre-diabetic. And now that was the catalyst for him to go on and create his new venture now, Verta Health, which is seeking to reverse type 2 diabetes. But the point is that Sami's case of really healthy and suddenly incredibly high blood sugar, he's not alone in that. And and, and in fact, recently, you know, we've, we have a lot of athletes go through the Inside Tracker platform. And while it's medical assessment, we've had a, a startling amount over the last few months that have returned back results with really really high blood sugar levels and so i just love your broad perspective on on that element and you know insulin uh, resistance glucose intolerance diabetes risk amongst athletes particularly endurance athletes of course
1: yeah i think i I agree with you i've seen this in my patients as well um people who are active and fit and um, have you know the the current definition of you know glucose intolerance or or what sometimes is called pre diabetes is a fasting uh, blood sugar over a hundred. I've seen a, many people with that and and insulin resistance. Um, it's a complex you know phenomenon that you know definitely has a genetic component. Um, it, it starts very young and it starts often many years before that fasting glucose becomes abnormal. Um, so uh it's it's um you know related to kind of how our body processes sugar how it deals with insulin you know how much how much body fat we have um, how many carbs we eat how much exercise we do but but being an athlete does certainly as sammy's case indicates does not make you immune to developing it and um and so it's another part of, you know, uh, my evaluation, you know, I'm always getting a fasting glucose in that initial screening evaluation. And I think sometimes the, the message people hear, you know, from um, from doctors, it's, you know, it's, it's a big risk factor for heart disease. And it's part of it is, mm-hmm. you, you may be at risk for getting diabetes if you're glucose intolerant, but it's also a big cardiovascular risk factor in and of itself. So starting you know for for athletes a lot of it goes starts with you know their diet is really taking a deep dive and see how they're eating what they're eating i think there are a lot of athletes who kind of exercise to eat <laughs> you know so they uh maybe not the the highest levels but there's people who you know um will will do that you know long bike ride so they can kind of you know eat, think they can eat what they want and that sometimes there's some education around that is Yeah. Even despite all that exercise you're doing, like we need to really kind of dive in on your on your fueling uh, and your nutrition because um, that's it's really super critical. But, yeah, I agree. uh, Glucose intolerance is really something that's uh, underappreciated, you know, um, and not often thought of in athletes, but it it exists and I see it all the time.
0: I, I think that sort of train to eat mindset that, 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 that is really common. You know, we always talk about nutrition as being one of our four pillars of what the program constitutes, but just because you exercise doesn't make you, you know immune to all of this stuff. And it's interesting just there's a team at Inside Tracker, and obviously the show is not about these, but uh, they've they're been very kind. They are anonymously tracking our progression around some of these factors, one of which is blood sugar. So Purple Patch athletes that have gone through an assessment, had founding, and in this one particular case that we'll talk about, uh, blood glucose, uh, then gone through an intervention typically around nutrition and maintaining their exercise and being able to really move the needle back to a positive direction. I think our average gains over four months was something like 27%, which is really important stuff. And so having that, and and that's a non-medical intervention, that's basically course correcting because a lot of these athletes pump themselves full of sugar sometimes it because they need to during training but then have such a carb heavy diet in the rest of their life and uh and it's in in many ways it's a sleeping giant that
1: yeah yeah one yeah so i i agree and and one thing that you know uh, you know again there's we're thinking about kind of athletes as anyone who exercises not you know, not just kind of your clientele, who's maybe more competing or at a higher level, is that what I see a lot um, is that there's a lot of people who exercise always super hard, you know? So if you talk about kind of exercise zones, like one through five or whatever, however you call it, they do way too much zone four and zone five exercise. And the classic example is like, oh, I'm gonna jump on the Peloton, And I'm going all out every single time I do it. I'm doing these classes, go, 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 go. But I think getting back to this concept of glucose intolerance is a lot of people ignore some aspects of their, you know, physiology and exercise, namely kind of lower intensity exercise, zone two exercise. And, and that's, I, I am counseling people all the time on, more zone to exercise, and especially these glucose intolerant people, and you know if they 've gotten to type 2 diabetes, but really for everyone because at that lower level of exercise, your muscles are utilizing fatty acids as their fuel, and it has a massive impact on glucose intolerance and and diabetes so that's really one of the pillars of treatment um, for these for the glucose intolerant, whether it 's you know patients or athletes. Um, is to all do cardiopulmonary exercise testing and know their zones tell them their zones whether it's heart rate watts on the bike speed running or some combination of both and really you know prescribing them you know 3 or 4 hours of zone 2 exercise every week or even more if they're willing to do it um, and that, mm-hmm. that's going to have a huge impact in addition to you know more education on fueling and nutrition um, to improve kind of their metabolic risk profile. Last question.
0: IMN athletes, ultra marathons, trail runs, um, the ultra route, which I'm doing with my <laughs> mate Pete, they bike race through the Alps in the summer. It's all this stuff healthy.
1: That's a that's a great question uh, to which we don't really know the answer. So, in I think you know a lot of the the data on exercise looks at kind of smaller volume um, of kind of low to moderate intensity exercise and shows clear mortality benefit when you look at populations of people. Um, but we're talking kind of like two to maybe four or five hours per week, something something in that. Ballpark. Um, as we get out to kind of volume of exercise, sometimes people talk about met hours per week, you know, something of that nature. But mm-hmm. it's um, there are studies that look at people, you know, multiple studies that are not kind of definitive. But say you you go at the end of uh, Ironman triathlon and you measure cardiac markers of injury, something called the troponin, which is a blood test that we would do if if we're looking for a heart attack. So, you measure a blood test called troponin. You do an MRI of the heart after someone just completes the triathlon. We will see things like the troponin value being mildly elevated. We will see acute dysfunction sometimes of the chambers of the heart, the right ventricle, which is a more thin-walled structure. Um... So, we'll see some markers that, whoa, that's maybe not perfect for the heart. Uh, we see recovery of that quickly. Um, but then the question is, if that's done repetitively, you know, is there potentially a risk of injuring the heart long term? So, that it's sort of a controversial topic within cardiology. I think that in my mind, there probably is a dose of exercise per day or per week that crosses the line into not good. I mean, we can imagine if you told me, hey, you know, Brian, did you, I go for a 10-hour bike ride every day? I'd say, you know, Matt, <laughs> I don't think that's going to make you live longer. <laughs> you may you may need to yeah. see a counselor, you know. So, but if you said, I, if I ride my bike for an hour a day, I'd say, great, perfect. You know, there may be some point in between there where there's a line that's crossed that you, you know, whether it's atrial fibrillation, whether it's, you know a risk of um developing there are some people who i've seen who get kind of almost like a, a weakening of the heart muscle from exercise probably there's a genetic component to that as well but so you know my feeling is there's a lot of benefits to endurance exercise that go beyond just trying to live longer we were chatting about that earlier um i mm-hmm. did the leadville uh, trail race uh twice And I didn't do it because I thought it would make me live longer. I did it because um, it was a big challenge. It was really fun. I like having a goal and I trained for it. And I was proud when I was done. I actually didn't enjoy it either time (laughs) during the (laughs) race itself. Uh, But, you know, so I think there's a lot of kind of psychological benefits that come from from being involved in endurance sports. Um, and most of my friends who I run with or, or ride with, we kind of joke about it. We know it's there. Like I, I, I run with like, you know, a group of five doctors every week and we've joked about it. We know we might have AFib later, but we, we like what we do. So, you know, it's, so I think there's, I think, yes, there may be some, there's a threshold where, um, exercise, uh, can be damaging and we don't know where that is. Um, but you know, it's, there's not too many patients where I'm, I'm trying to get them to back off on exercise. There are some, you know, I do see some people where it's like, you're doing too much. But, um, if, if, if I had that problem with all my patients, I'd be a happy man. <laughs> Cause it's usually trying to get people off the couch.
0: It, it reminds me of a, of a great saying, um, uh, that we use at purple patch, which is everything in moderation, including excess. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, and, it sort of comes back to look. ultimately the most pragmatic level what we're actually handling here is stress and stress can come uh, from multiple mm-hmm. sources in our life environmental financial self-stress travel stress lack of sleep and too much exercise relative to our life and if we yeah. can find a recipe where we're staying pragmatic and then it's probably net positive.
1: Yeah. You know, you all have to say like, you know, what you do with purple patch, it's, it's actually, um, we didn't get into this, but back when I got interested more in kind of the, the exercise cardiology link was, was seeing what you were doing with your athletes and me thinking, gosh, all my patients need this. Like, um, you know, the, your clients are getting, Coaching in how to exercise, how to eat, how to manage their stress and, and using, you know, data like sometimes exercise performance tests or metrics that you're using. And it's, it's kind of my concept that, you know, my 55 year old guy who doesn't exercise at all and has, you know, body fat at 35%, he could use coach Matt (laughs) to, get him doing any exercise working on his diet you know and and as a doctor you know cardiologists can't always do all that uh, we don't you know we're not set up to do all that kind of counseling so i just it's just kind of a pitch for what you do is that you know that model uh of having kind of a, a an exercise and a diet coach it really would benefit so many people because um it's Oftentimes, I always felt it was like the people who don't need it as much are the ones who are getting it, but the people who need it the most, you know, they're the ones I really want to have that. But the, the medical world isn't yet set up to provide that kind of, um, you know, coaching for, for all these, you know, things that that you guys do. So, yeah, kudos to you for what you're doing.
0: Did, did Did you hear that, listeners? You all need a <laughs> patch. <laughs> And the, uh, you know what it, it makes my m- makes my heart flutter and it is, uh, it is American Heart Month but um, we like to set a purple patch that we try and uh, bring athletes to life and life to athletes so um, that's a that's a nice way to win but Brian thank you so much it was uh, so insightful and interesting and I guess a bit one big takeaway is uh, you can be as healthy as you like you could be charging towards your goals but it might be uh, for most of us, just a good thing to pause and reach out to our cardiologist and have baseline assessment and uh, and check that everything's in order. I think that you would endorse that. yeah. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time staff people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Cheers.